reading of 1 Peter is chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone, and he is the stone that people that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you, you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's own, very own possession. As, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as a temporary uh, residence and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. There are lots of dead stones. There are a lot of empty stones. There are a lot of fruitless stones, stones that do not bring life. I've learned this in many different ways in my life, but in particular, um, I had a pastor, a friend, and a mentor who taught me this in different ways whenever we would have our opportunities to be together. His name is Herb Brokering, and uh, Herb was uh, a professor of education at the seminary that I went to. Um, Herb is also the one, if you've heard me refer to traveling um, behind the wall in East Germany 35 years ago, uh, Herb is the one that I traveled with. He was the one who led these mission journeys um, into East Germany. And through my recollections of interactions with Herb, he was always throwing stony, rocky things at me in a playful manner. We were in Wittenberg. This is the, the uh, place where Luther taught, has raised his family, and uh, where he um, nailed the 95 theses on the castle church door. And um, so in Wittenberg, we're downtown, and there's this big pile of dirty brown coal and, and if you don't know anything about the history of East Germany, one of the things that brought down East Germany um, was 
the environmental despair that people were experiencing. It was just a polluted mess. And Herb was waiting to go into a candle store. A friend of his owns a candle store, was a great uh, knowledgeable person about the painter Lucas Cronich. He was going to give us a tour of some of, some of the Cronich paintings in, in Wittenberg. And he turned around and he goes, hey, Steve. And he threw a piece of brown coal to me, and I caught it. He said, he wrapped it up in a piece of paper. He said, take this home. He said, this is the thing that has powered East Germany. What he was telling me was, this was an empty stone. It was a polluted uh, piece of coal that they were using because it was a cheap source of power. Uh, but in the long run, it was killing the people. The, the streams, the rivers were, were so polluted from this brown coal. The air was polluted. There was another stone that he threw at me. We were in Berlin, and this was our second journey. We had just come back from East Germany, and the wall was beginning to teeter and totter and come down. And on the west side, people were beginning to chip away at the wall. And you could pick up pieces of the wall on the ground. And so he picked up a piece, and he goes, hey, Steve, and he throws it to me again. And so I was reminded on the second journey of how that wall, which was built to keep the Germans east and west separated, how that wall actually was a stone of an empty promise. And so these stones that Herb brought into my life taught me little lessons. That was the kind of teacher he was. Um, we had him here at New Covenant um, early on in my ministry and uh, we were outside in the yard here, and uh, he picked up a stone, and he threw it to me, and he goes, hey, Steve, a little rock. <laughs> now, if you're wondering what that stands for, you have to wait till the children's message, and then I'll clue you, clue you in on that. So today we're talking about living stones, not empty stones, not deadly stones, not stones that don't bring life. We're talking about living stones that bring life. But before we begin to talk about the living stones, let me tell you about the living stone. Peter introduces this section by telling us about Jesus, the Messiah, the living stone, the living cornerstone. And it says, as you come to him, as you come to to him, to Jesus, the living stone, the living cornerstone, rejected by people, yet chosen by God for great honor. That's verse 4, the very first verse of our reading from 1 Peter today. And Peter is referring to what Jesus said about himself. All three synoptic gospels, what is a synoptic gospel? It's a general succinct report. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic gospels. All three of these gospels, um, John is unique. John has a different structure uh, completely altogether and tells some of the same stories but some different stories. So John's is unique, but the other three are similar. They are synoptics. And these gospels all report this from Jesus, from the mouth of Jesus. And uh, in Matthew 21, if I can 
get my Bible open here. Verse uh, 24, we can find um, where Jesus talks about this. I tell you, by what authority I do these things. Uh, I'm sorry, wrong verse, it's 42, I bet. Here we go. Then Jesus asked them, didn't you ever read this in the scriptures? And he's quoting the scripture in reference to um, himself because he has just told, the, they're, they're asking about his authority, um, challenging his authority. He tells the parable of the evil uh, uh, farm renters, the ones who the owner sends his servants to pick up his rent and they keep beating them up and killing them and um, sending them away empty-handed finally. Jesus said the owner sends his son, and they say to themselves, let's kill the son because then we can own the land. And so they kill the son. Um, after telling this parable, then Jesus says this, didn't you ever read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And this is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. So Jesus himself is quoting Isaiah um, in reference to his own identity as the Messiah being a cornerstone that will be rejected by the people. Jesus speaks of this cornerstone not only from Isaiah 28, but also from uh, Psalms 118. And let me read uh, 22 and verses 22 and 23 of that psalm. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. And the Isaiah 28, verse 16 text talks about, Isaiah is talking about a, a future temple that will be built with a cornerstone that all who believe in this cornerstone will experience new life. And so Jesus is tying these two readings from Isaiah and Psalm 118 together to identify his role as the Messiah, his authority, which the people don't believe and um, are willing to, to crucify him over. And yet it is through that crucifixion, through his death and through his resurrection that he will actually become the chief cornerstone of a new temple, as Isaiah had prophesied. When the Messiah, Jesus, is arrested, when he's convicted, when he's put to death, and then on the third day, he is raised again from the dead, that is the, that is the identification of who the Messiah is. So after Jesus' death and resurrection, Peter and John are arrested for proclaiming this in the temple. Do you remember they went and to the temple and the crippled man asked them to give him some money and they didn't have money, so they gave him healing. They gave him his life. And so they're put on trial because they've been preaching about how they did this in the name of Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the chief cornerstone that they are speaking of. And because of his death for our sins and because of his resurrection for our new life that is the promise for you as well is the resurrection of the dead 
Because of that promise, he is the living stone. Jesus is the living cornerstone. And he is a great honor for all who believe in him. Not only is he honored, but God wants to share his honor with others. So let's talk about you. You are living stones. Jesus is the living cornerstone. You are living stones. What are these living stones? Well, these living stones are stones that God uses to build his spiritual temple. And within that spiritual temple, not only are you living stones, but you are holy priests. Now, you may not think of yourself as a priest, but you are a priest because priests offer sacrifices. That's what they did in the temple. After Jesus' birth, his parents went in and offered two turtle doves as a sacrifice, as an offering as a thanksgiving. And so you are priests, but the offering that you offer, the sacrifice that you present in the temple, the spiritual temple that is being built by God, is your repentance and your faith in Jesus. It is the life that you are living that is being transformed, being sanctified by the Holy Spirit as you live this life at this very moment. That is what is promised for you. Spiritual sacrifices transform lives. Now, I remember when I was young and I was prepared to be confirmed at the end of ninth grade, I went through the confirmation um, classes for three years and I wrote my papers, must have done well on my papers because uh, they wanted to confirm me. And I remember going to the rehearsal on Saturday before Sunday, before the service on Sunday. And I remember being really uh, fearful for some reason at the time that um, as I was up in the, in the chancel, that's what we call this front area, as I was up in the chancel of the, of the sanctuary, kneeling, the pastor placing his hands on my head, I remember having a moment of awe and fear, and I hung behind everyone else. Everyone else had left so that I could talk to my pastor, and I told him I didn't think I was prepared enough to be confirmed. And um, I never saw him anxious, but that moment I remember him thinking that I, I had said something that upset him. Um, and, and so what he did was he spent quite a bit of time trying to convince me that I was very prepared to be confirmed. Um, I went through the confirmation service. I was confirmed. But I still didn't know whether I was worthy of that confirmation of, from God. Next year, my sophomore year of high school, I uh, went on a National Lutheran Youth Gathering. We were down in New Orleans. Was down there, was with some friends. They were sharing with me about personal faith in Jesus Christ. They told me that if I committed my life to Christ, that um, I'd be a new person and that my life would be changed forever, that 
that I would wake up in the morning and everything would be different. And so I thought, well, maybe that's what I need. And so I committed my life to Christ that night. And I remember waking up in the morning thinking that nothing had really changed. I didn't experience this huge moment of change, transformation. What I can tell you is that over the years, what I have discovered is that spiritual transformation is, first of all, not my work. It is God's work in me. So therefore, confirmation should have been okay because it's what God is doing, not what I was doing. But that spiritual transformation is not a one-time event, whether it's confirmation or a born-again experience. It's not a one-time event. It is a continual life of submission to Christ. And that is what Peter is speaking of. He is saying that your spiritual offering is your repentance and your faith that happens on a daily basis. This is the most important offering you can give. So let's say that you've lost your job. Let's say you don't have any money. Let's say that you are sick, you are unable to give of your physical self to help anyone. Let me say this, that your most important offering that you can make is not your money, your gifts, your possessions, your time. The most important gift that you can give is yourself, submitting to God allowing God to work in you and through you. You see, that's one of the things about Peter that's quite clear here because a lot of people tried to attribute these things to Peter. Well, he was a miracle worker. Well, he did all these things. And Peter was very clear that it wasn't him, that it was Christ that worked through him. It was the Holy Spirit that worked in his life. And so your repentance, your confession, your profession of faith, you're serving your neighbor, you're sharing your story of faith, most importantly, your submission to God. All of these are the stones that God can use to build his spiritual temple, the church. When God builds this spiritual temple, he intends to build one. It's not a whole bunch of temples that would not be a unified presence. Now, we haven't done so well as churches across the world, but God isn't looking at our denominations. God isn't looking at our church attendance or memberships. God is looking at our hearts. Because that is how God identifies the church. This is an audacious claim that Peter makes. It's an absolute claim that it is through Jesus Christ in him alone that we have life. No other gods, no other idols, nothing else. It is just Jesus Christ 
when Peter quotes this about Christ being the chief cornerstone of this new spiritual temple, some have referred back to Jesus calling Peter rock, or rocky, and saying that he would build his church upon him. And what Peter is clarifying for us here is that the church will not be built on any other cornerstone. The only cornerstone will be Jesus Christ. All the other stones, including Peter, are living stones that Jesus empowers his Holy Spirit to use to build the church. So what Peter is saying is, it's not me, it's not the Pope, it's not the pastor, it's not the bishop, it is, it is God who uses spiritual stones like Peter, like you, to build his church. When a man is healed by Peter in front of the temple, it is not Peter. Peter is clear about that in his teaching and his preaching. It is God's Holy Spirit working through Peter and through John. And so this unity is built through our hearts for God. Peter concludes this reading with some powerful descriptions of this spiritual temple. He talks about not only unity, about, but about a purpose. He says, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And then he quotes um, a reference, in a sense, from Hosea, the prophet. This book has been one of those fascinating books that I've studied for several years now. Because Hosea does something really bizarre. Hosea is called by God to preach to Israel to prophetically proclaim God's judgment upon the people of Israel. And he tells Hosea, now this is how I wanted you to do this. There's a prostitute named Gomer. I want you to go and I want you to take her as your wife. So Hosea goes and he marries Gomer, this prostitute. The problem is that she doesn't stay with Hosea. She continually goes back to her old way of life. And God says, you see, like that's how Israel is. Tell them that. They're like, like Gomer. And then God says to, to Hosea, now Gomer's going to have some children, and uh, we don't know whose they are, um, but you're going to have a name for them. And two of the children that he names um, in the Hebrew get translated. One is no mercy, so the children of Israel are going to be called no mercy because God will show them no mercy. And the, the third name of the, the, of the two that are mentioned, um, there are three children, the, the third name is not a people. So Israel will not be a people of God is the inference in the naming of that child. Now, how many of us would be prepared to follow God's call to do something like this? But Hosea does. And so he, he calls the people of Israel together and he tells them 
that they have been a faithless uh, lot of people and that uh, God's judgment is going to come upon them, that they're going to lose their land. And not only that, they will no longer receive mercy from God and they will no longer be a people of God. So think of how powerful it is when Peter says this to those new converts, those new believers in Jesus as the Messiah. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Once you were no people, now you are God's people. Once you had no mercy, now you have God's mercy. Because God has chosen you as he chose Jesus, his son. That's what he says. You are a chosen race, a chosen people. The chosen race would have been the descendants of Abraham and Sarah. But now we have a new identity as a chosen race, a chosen people, and that is as the spiritual descendants of Abraham and Sarah. This is a restoration of Israel, but it is a restoration that is coming from God's chosen people that are formed through confession of faith faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. What's interesting is that this new group of people isn't just Jews. It now includes Gentiles. It's not just men. Now it's women. It's not just Cappadocians. It's Bithynians. It's not just whites. It's blacks. It's browns. It's all who commit their lives in faith to the Messiah, Jesus. This is a spiritual race, a spiritual people with which God will use to build his spiritual temple. And he says, you are a royal priesthood serving with spiritual sacrifices. That's what priests did. And that's what you do through your obedience to the covenant, to the promise that God has made with you. You are royal because God is your king. And then he says, you are a holy nation. You are holy. You are set apart for God. means that you, like Christ, will have to suffer because of your identity as a Christian. You will suffer. And so in your suffering, let us not lose focus of the one who has suffered the most for all of us. Our suffering is minuscule in comparison to the suffering of Jesus on the cross. And like Christ, you may face rejection. But remember, it was the people that rejected Christ. God chose him. And as you face persecution and rejection with faith, God will choose you as well. And then the last description, God's own special people, God's own special possession. You have been freed by Christ 
so that you may proclaim the mighty acts of God who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You, my friends, are that chosen race, that royal priesthood, that holy nation, that special possession. You are living stones. Let us continue to make our spiritual sacrifices so that the Holy Spirit can continue to build his church. Amen.